we have an inspired speaker today. She's, she's living her dream. But anyway, I'm, I'm Scott Warner. I'm president of the Culinary Historians of Chicago. And welcome. And our speaker this morning has a crusty and somewhat flaky tale to tell. And she's going to butter up to us with the delectable samples she's brought for us to taste. Today's program, Laminations Be Praised, How the Croissant Came. I say croissant. Um, and I studied French. And I can, I, I've told I have a pretty good accent. I just don't like to say it the French way, you know, with croissant. It, it always sounds like a nose full of snot to me. So I'll, I'll speak it like an American. I'll, I'll say croissant. And um, anyway, she's, uh, Sandra's going to talk about how the croissant came to be. And uh, Sandra is chef, and your chef and partner with your husband, uh, who's French, uh, in the acclaimed Floreal Bakery on West Webster. Here's a little bit about Sandra. Uh, Sandra was born and raised in Rockford, Illinois, graduated with a BA in French literature from the University of Colorado, taught English to high school students in France, and worked in marketing in San Francisco before discovering her love of food and cooking. After volunteering as a prep cook for a nonprofit and staging at a few restaurants, she decided to sign up at the California Culinary Academy, and Sandra spent her externship and the following years working at the world-renowned Tartine Bakery in San Francisco. Sandra and her husband, Matthew, left the Bay Area for Chicago and started Floreal in a tent at the Chicago Green City Market. They have grown their business into a flourishing, full-service cafe and bakery specializing in French-inspired pastries rooted in Midwestern ingredients. The bakery has been named among the top 10 bakeries in the U.S., has received a Chicago Tribune Dining Award, and is recognized as having some of the best bread in the country. Sandra has contributed to Bon Appetit magazine. Uh, she's appeared on Martha Stewart, and she's done a whole bunch of other very impressive things. In, 19, in 2016, she was named Pastry Chef of the Year at the Jean Bonchet Awards. And that sounds pretty good to me. And aside from the delicious food she dishes out of Floreal, I was also very impressed that Sandra trained, trained at Tartine, again in San Francisco. I had my own experience at Tartine several years ago when I was attending the International Association of Culinary Professionals uh, annual conference in that town. My friend and roommate at that event was Peter Reinhardt, the award-winning bread book author and re world-renowned bread expert. Peter and I, oh, wait, Peter too, I mean, how would you like to have a roommate but before you turn out the lights? You say, oh, before you turn out the lights, would you autograph this book for me? So uh, Peter and I were sitting together during a talk by Tartine's owner, Chad Robertson, who was giving us insight into how great artisan bread is made. And then we got to taste his samples. And I turned to Peter and said, this is the best bread I have ever tasted in my life. I mean, I, I, I get emotional when I talk about it. It was so good. And, and I asked Peter, again, the world-renowned bread expert, what he thought, and his eyes were just, he was beaming. He said, this is the best bread I have ever had in the United States. Well, after the talk ended, a group of us jumped into a cab and made a beeline to Tartine to experience more of their great stuff. And the bread, the sandwiches, the desserts made by Chad's wife were awesome. And that place was a culinary shrine, as far as I'm concerned. And when I found out that Sandra had trained there, I felt like genuflecting before her. So, Sarah, would you come over here and bless us with all your sacred and crusty knowledge? Thanks so much for coming. Just want to give you, I, I think you got a little bit of background about, about me and Florial, but I just want to say a couple things because um, we were talking earlier, and Florial is really sort of my dream come true. Um, my husband and I came here from, from San Francisco, and San Francisco is just a, it's a dream come true for bread and pastry, and we got to Chicago, and um, we weren't planning on staying here, and uh, decided to stay here because we saw that there was an opportunity to make pastries here, and, and it was a place where I felt like I had a chance to make my mark and, and do my own thing, and that started at the Green City Market, and the Green City Market is one of my favorite places. I'm there twice a week all through the season. Um, it's the place where we started our business, and so many people supported us and, and uh, helped us get started. So four years we spent there working with the farmers and, and kind of getting our products 
um, refined and figuring out what the heck we were doing. And then we opened Florial um, after that. And we've been in business um, with a roof over our head now for eight years and, um, and trying to be better every day. So um, we really specialize in sort of French-style pastries that are rooted in Midwestern ingredients. So we get lots of great fruits from, from Michigan and then put them in the pastries and, um, and laminated pastries um, are really our specialty. So, so laminated, when I start talking about laminated, I know it doesn't sound beautiful at all. It sounds like a piece of paper that's surrounded in plastic, but that's a good way to kind of start thinking about what the lamination process is. Because if you think of the plastic when you're laminating, that's the dough. And in the center, where the paper is, that's the butter. And um, all laminated pastries start like this with with dough and a big block of butter. And um, basically that gets rolled out several times, very thin and folded in different ways. And I'll kind of talk about how, how the folds are different and, and what the, the dough is made out of. But uh, remember that piece of paper with the plastic and, um, and that's how we'll start. So lamination, as I said, is the process of creating layers of dough and butter or creating layers of dough and butter to create light and flaky pastries. So, so those alternating layers is really what makes a croissant a croissant, a puff pastry a puff pastry. Um, some examples of these um, pastries include croissant, Danish. If anyone's heard of Queen Amman, it's having it's a having a, a moment right now. It's actually my favorite, and I brought you samples of that so you can taste it too. Uh, <laughs> puff pastry, um, and there's even laminated brioche. So, so you can laminate almost anything, and I think pastry chefs out there are trying to laminate almost anything these days to, to reinvent the wheel and, and improve upon it. But what we start with when we're making laminated pastries is a really simple dough that's consisting of flour and water, um, yeast, and salt. So these things can be varied depending on the kind of dough that you're making. Um, the water could actually be milk if you're looking for something a little more tender um, or, or extensible. In Danish, they add eggs to this. Um, often there's a little bit of fat added to the dough to make it more extensible and more tender as well. So simple dough, mixed very simply, and then we've got the butter. Um, some people use margarine, but we're not gonna go there. Um, I've heard of people actually trying to use bacon fat. To, to, so you could really use any kind of fat, um, but uh, butter is our favorite. And when we use butter, we're also using European-style butter. So European-style butter is really special because it's higher in fat. Um, yes, there's different fat levels of butter, believe it or not. So European-style butter has about 82 to 84 percent fat. And the more fat you have, um, the better the flavor. It's also cultured, so you've got a little bit of zinginess in that butter. And then um, the amount of butter varies depending on the kind of laminated pastry you're making. So let's say you're making puff pastry. You're going to use about 50% butter to dough for that, whereas a croissant is around 25 to 30%. So different amounts of butter, um, different kinds of doughs, uh, ultimately give a different pastry, but all made with the same sort of technique. Um, I've got great pictures of what it looks like to laminate. So um, lamination starts with a flat piece of dough. You um, take about a third of that uh, piece of dough and you're going to put a piece of butter on it. And that butter has to be extensible. So what we do is we whack it with a rolling pin. So it's sort of elastic. You, if you just put a piece of butter on top of that dough, you're not going to be able to roll it in. And it's important that uh, the butter is distributed evenly so you don't have big chunks in one place and, and not so much uh, in other places. So temperature and extensibility are super important here. So you, if you have your, your dough, about a third of it you cover with, um, a third, I'm sorry, a half of it you're going to cover with butter, depending on how you're doing, doing it. And you make a butter sandwich. That's what I call it. So you fold the dough over, so you've got dough, butter in the center, and then dough on top. It can be open around the sides. A lot of people think that the butter is going to squirt out if they, if they start rolling it. But if, you're, if your dough and your butter are about the same temperature uh, on the cool side, 
it doesn't, it, it all stays together. It's like a butter sandwich. That gets rolled out with a rolling pin. So uh, you roll out in one direction and you roll it out to about three times the size that um, it is when you start. And then depending on uh, how you, what you're making, let's just say we're doing croissant, we're going to do a single fold. So a single fold is uh, like folding up a letter. I don't know why they call it a single fold. To me, it's a threefold um, because you're folding into thirds. But that um, you do that, then you turn the dough. So if you rolled out this way before, you folded it up and you're gonna turn it the opposite way. You roll it again. And then you can do either another single fold, like that letter, or you can do what's called a book fold. So that means you take both ends, fold it to the center, and then fold it again. So you end up with more layers that way. Um, if you um, do this, you're going to do that one more time for croissant. For something like puff pastry, you might do that four or even five times because you're looking for more and more layers. So every time you're, you're doing this, you're increasing the number of layers. You're making very thin, thin layers of dough and, and butter. So when you cut that open, it almost looks like a book. And often um, croissant dough is called a book of croissant dough because it almost looks like pages of a book if you cut down through um, the croissant, uh, the dough and the butter. Throughout this whole process, it's really important to rest your dough. I don't know if anyone knows about gluten. So gluten is what makes flour strong. Um, makes It's what you want to develop if you're making bread. It makes the, the dough not fall apart. Um, every time you you need dough or you work dough, you're, you're strengthening that gluten. And so throughout this process, you need to let that gluten rest. Um, it's like, like a muscle. You need to, to rest and relax and let it kind of hang out because if you try to keep rolling it, it'll just shrink back on itself and you won't get very far. So that's also part of the, the process. There's about a 30-minute rest period between each of these what we call turns and, and folds. So... I don't know if you're uh, starting to get a feel for how long it takes to make these, these laminated pastries. It's not something that you do in just, just an afternoon of fun baking. It is um, sort of a, for us, it takes over 24 hours to create a croissant from start to finish because we mix the dough, we let that dough ferment a little bit, then we chill that dough down for several hours because you have to have it cold. If it's warm, the butter will absorb into it. Then we start the lamination process with a half hour between each of those folds, and then it has to rest again. And then we roll it out and uh, to, to the final thickness that we're gonna have it, and we cut it into triangles if it's croissant or, or even rectangles if it's going to be um, uh, chocolate croissant. And then they get shaped. And then they, from that point, you can, you can do several different things. You could refrigerate them until you're ready to, to um, bake them. You could freeze them to totally stop any sort of yeast activity um, if you need to save them for a day or so. They don't save for over three days because um, the yeast ends up dying. Or, um, or you could go straight into what we call the proofer, and so that's the place where, where it's a little bit warm and humid and, uh, and the croissants are allowed to rise. So, so the croissants have to rise, but not too warm because uh, above 80 degrees, all the butter will melt out, which makes for a big mess. Um, and uh, so they have to, to rise rather slowly at a, at a cooler temperature. Um, and that can take an hour and a half to two hours. Um, if you're going straight through. It takes a little bit longer if they're coming from cold. And at that point, of course, they go into the oven and bake for no more than 20 minutes because a croissant, you never want to dry it out. You want it to be nice and tender on the inside, very deeply caramelized on the outside, um, and crispy. So, um, so we never bake ours for more than 20 minutes either for a croissant. I quickly touched on some other laminated pastries besides croissants, and we always think of croissants as being sort of the epitome of all laminated pastries, but um, I told you before that Queen Amman is my favorite, and that is still a French pastry, but um, it is a specialty from Brittany, and um, so Queen Amman is uh, a French, it's not even French dialect, it's a dialect uh, that's spoken sometimes in Brittany called Breton, and um, the actual tr translation, queen, means sweet bread, and um, Amman means butter. 
and there's a really cool story, I think, behind Queen Amman, and that's that it was developed during a time when, when there were shortages of flour, but a surplus of butter. So butter was cheaper than flour. If you can imagine that, I don't know if you've gone to the store and bought butter, but it's hard to imagine butter being less expensive than, um, than flour. So they were, the bakers at that point were trying to work as much butter into the uh, flour to, to reduce costs. And then this region is also known for their salted butter. So Queen Amman is really special because it's salty and it's sweet. And uh, I think those are sort of the two things that really make people want to come back and eat more and more of something. So um, it's very similar, similar to a croissant dough, but with even more butter and then salt, a good amount of salt and sugar rolled into it. And then the shape is different. Um, the, the, the dough itself is cut into squares um, and then sugar is rolled into it. And this, the, the corners of the squares are folded into the center and then they're folded into the center again. So it, it almost looks like a little flower. It bakes in a, in a cup or in a, a ring mold and it kind of blossoms and, um, and there's certain parts that get really nice and dark and um, it's, it's really a lovely pastry. You'll see a little bit later. Um, another uh, laminated pastry that we touched on briefly is the Danish and um, there's a cool story I'm gonna tell you about the Danish. I, I, get, I can tell that now, I guess. Um, Danishes are, are based on Viennese-style pastries. So a croissant is a viennoiserie. Um, it's a, a Viennese uh, pastry. And um, it has eggs added to the dough. Um, and that's sort of what makes Danish special. But they came to be because the Danish bakers went on strike. And uh, the Viennese came in and, and helped bake. And, and then it, it was really a big hit um, in, in, um, in the country and people loved it. And so the, the Danish bakers along the way adopted this style of baking. And so now we have um, Danish. Um, puff pastry uh, is really the simplest of, of all the uh, laminated pastries, but very spectacular because it really has the most lift. But what's uh, the big difference between puff pastry and the other ones that we've talked about is that there is no yeast. So um, we're not relying on uh, yeast for it to, to rise. We're really relying on, on the difference between the butter and the um, flour. Which brings me back to um, what happens when, when the pastries are cooking. So when these pastries are cooking, uh, it's, we're not relying only on the yeast uh, to get that sort of puff, that lightness. What happens is as the cooking happens, there is um, still water in the butter. There's, you know, if we have 84% butter fat, the rest is, is water. And when that water gets hot, it's locked between this dough, the, um, the vapor, the water, in the, it turns to vapor, and that pushes apart each of those layers. So um, creating you know, a forced rise beyond just what's happening with the, um, with the yeast. And that's why puff pastry, even though it doesn't have yeast, is still able to rise quite a bit. Um, I've got some... I'll let you look at um, some of the pictures of the pastries I have here so you can see some of the differences of texture and, um, and, uh, and types. I also added cronut on here because everyone seems to be really crazy about these cronuts. Um, I was just in France and I did not see any cronuts in France. Um, but I was surprised I didn't because you know, they're, they're crazy about American pastries and chocolate chip cookies and brownies. but. They don't seem to be adopting fried croissant dough, which is all the craze in America these days. Um, so what makes the perfect croissant? Um, I've got a few different uh, ways that I think you can evaluate uh, a good croissant. And so um, I'd like to talk about crust, crumb, and flavor. So when you look at a croissant, it should be very dark in color. Um, it should be almost a mahogany brown, and um, that's something you don't see very often here, but what happens when you bake dark is you're um, caramelizing those sugars. And, and there's a difference between burnt and very dark in color, um, what, what we like to call very lovingly French brown. 
Um, and a lot of, Amer- of Americans are thinking, oh, that looks brown. I mean, this is, this is a great color. Croissant should be this color. Um, and a lot of people look at that and they think, oh, that's not going to taste good. It's going to taste bitter. But that is what you're looking for. Because then you have a real difference between the interior that's light and moist and, and um, almost creamy in color to the outside. So you get, I think, a good mixture if you've got that dark crust. The crust should be extremely flaky um, and it should shatter um, when it's bitten into or it's torn. It should be a big mess when you eat a croissant. You should be covered with all kinds of um, uh, pastry shards. Um, That's part of the fun of it. That said, it shouldn't be tough and it shouldn't be crunchy really. It should be flaky and crisp but not crunchy and definitely not tough. Um, each, Each layer should really melt on your tongue um, when you're eating it, but it shouldn't be greasy or oily. So it's crazy, something that is up to 50% butter shouldn't taste greasy or oily because it should be very balanced. Um, The exterior should be, again, deep brown to contrast that creamy interior. Um, So I think some of the best pastries that you ever eat are, are kind of a mix of different experiences and I think that's what makes a croissant so special is that inside is soft and tender and then the outside is is crispy and the inside is maybe more sweet and the outside has got a maybe a tiniest hint of bitter caramel flavor all right moving to the interior um should be feather light I always tell the bakers when you when you pick up a croissant it should look like it's going to be heavier than it is you should pick it up and it almost flies out of your hand because it's so light that is a sign of a great baked good. Um, let's see. Um, interior should be feather light with many layers that look like a honeycomb. So if you're looking at a honeycomb, those, all the, the hexagon circles, when you cut through the center of a croissant, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see anything that looks like bread. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a Pillsbury you know, croissant that you, you roll up. That's one thing, but that's not a real croissant. So, so you're looking for all this space, all this lightness, and, and really it should look like a honeycomb in the center. Um, the center should be tender and moist, but not gummy or doughy. So we're looking for something that has had enough time to, be, um, to rise. If you try to bake it too early, you'll end up with something that... Uh, is not fully baked in the center. It'll be gummy and, and not so good, but if it has enough time to rise before it's baked, um, it gets a little bit more air in there and allows the center to cook properly. It should smell, so always smell that pastry before you eat it. It should smell slightly sweet, but it shouldn't smell alcoholic. So, so with fermentation, when you're dealing with yeast, if you're not properly fermenting, if you let it go for too long, it's going to smell a little vinegary, um, but not in a good way, a little alcoholic, um, off smelling. Okay, so the flavor of the croissant should be intensely buttery. It's all about the butter. There's, there's nothing more to say than it should taste like butter with the tiniest bit of sweetness. Um, it shouldn't taste like there's been sugar added to it. So I think, um, the sugar should be a little bit of a background flavor. It's more of a dairy sweetness that you're looking for, not for something cloyingly sweet. Um, so it should be well-seasoned, and it should have a level of saltiness that's not so heavy that you can't um, imagine eating it with, with jam and butter. So, so it, should have a, it should be seasoned. It shouldn't be flat-tasting, but it shouldn't be so salty that you, you only want to have a sandwich on it which wouldn't be a bad thing, but anyway. So when we taste the croissants and the, um, and the Queen Amon later, I really recommend that you, you, you smell it first. Well, you look at it, you smell it, you take a bite, you, you taste the difference between the, the exterior and the interior and, um, and get to know that croissant before, before you eat it all up. And I'll tell you this, that... Uh, Today was not a good croissant day at the bakery, so, so um, 
I think they're they're perfectly acceptable, but they're they're different every single day, depending on on the weather, on the temperature in um, in the room where we fabricate them, and. Um, the room was relatively warm yesterday, and so the fermentation got a little ahead of itself. So, so you'll see they 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 aren't as light as they should be. The the crumb isn't as open, and and really, laminated pastries croissants are a daily. Uh, we get to renew them every day. We we're challenged every day. Um, there's so many factors that are changing. So. So taste these and and know that they're not always going to be the same. I'd say maybe. 10 to 12 days out of the year, we end up with the perfect textbook uh, croissant that we're so happy with that we take pictures and, and, and jump up, a do- up and down about it. Um, but, but yeah, not every day. Just like us, they have good days and bad days. Which is, it's crazy to think that these have been made for, for many, many hundreds of years because I can't imagine making a croissant in a room that doesn't have air conditioning in a place where there's not refrigeration or a freezer for that matter um, because they are so temperature dependent. So I'd I'd like to think that croissants have gotten better and better through the years um, and because of some of the, the modern things that we have today. There's some fun sort of stories that I don't know if they're true because I am not a historian, but I'm, I want to tell you a little bit about them. My favorite is about the um, invention of puff pastry. So puff pastry um, was invented by a baker or apprentice baker who was trying to make something that was good for his father who had been given a prescription by the doctor to only eat flour, water, and butter. So Claudius, the, the, the uh, apprentice baker, decided to make something, and uh, the rest of the bakers laughed at him. They thought it was going to be a big mess. He made a, a water and flour dough and then tried to, to roll um, a bunch of butter in it. And um, everyone said, oh, don't bake that. It's not going to be good. He went ahead and baked it and ended up with a beautiful puff pastry and um, is known for for creating puff pastry in the 1600s. So is it true or not? I'm not sure, but uh, fun story. Um, And then then there's the story about uh, how croissants came to be. And um, there's there's different versions of the story as well. We'll go with the the Viennese uh, story. Uh, the Vienna was under siege by the Turks, and um, they were going to invade the city in the middle of the night, and they were going to do that by tunneling underground and, um, and then coming from behind and attacking the army that was protecting the city. Um, unfortunately, um, bakers work nights, and they were doing the tunneling at night, and while they were working in their basement uh, kitchens, the bakers heard the scratching and the pounding of, of this tunnel being, being um, etched out, and they sounded the alarm. The uh, Viennese army came in, and they collapsed the tunnels. The day was saved, and then um, the bakers created the croissant in the shape of the um, crescent that's on the Turkish flag as kind of like a, aha, we'll, we'll make pastries. <laughs> uh, and so um, eventually, as they say, Mary, Maria Antoinette brought these uh, to the French court. If you can imagine back in these days, I'm sure anything, anything with bread and butter was um, only for royals and the very, very wealthy. Everyone else was um, you know, trying to get by. So it was something that was only in the French court, and she brought that with her, and um, it started to catch on. And then much, much later, um, these pastries were actually um, popularized at the World's Fair in Paris in 1889. The Viennese bakers brought the croissants and, and all different kinds of viennoiserie. So the, the, the brioche and everything came from, from Vienna, and the French went crazy for it and adopted many of the um, uh, things that they were doing there. And then I already told you about the Danish um, 
uh, strike of the bakers in, in Denmark and the Viennese bakers were brought in to, to do that. And then a really great um, fact, I think, is that today in France, only about uh, or 30 to 40% of croissants in France are actually made by hand. Everything has gone to being um, mechanically produced and comes in frozen, and a lot of the bakeries aren't actually making the croissants. So it's harder and harder to find a really good croissant in France um, all, because pretty much to be considered an artisan baker, you need to make bread from scratch on site, not croissants. So they kind of get away with uh, serving up these these uh, frozen croissants and still call themselves artisan bakers. So if you have a chance to, to, to be in France, I really recommend finding out where you can get the good croissants because if you get a really good one, it's well worth it. However, um, there's a lot of bad ones out there. There was, there was um, somebody that said uh, that it's easier to find a good croissant in America than it is in France these days, which makes me very, very proud. <laughs> um, but I can also understand they don't have this space that we have here. They're working out of teeny tiny kitchens and, um, and you, they, they have to make a lot of bread and pastries on a daily basis because the, the people there really do buy them every day, maybe more than once a day. So, so completely understandable. Um, I'm coming towards the end of, of what I had to, to talk about, and I would be more than happy to answer any questions. Yes? So the question was, when making croissants, is butter the only fat that's used, or is margarine used, or oil, or other fats? And 100%, um, in France, there's two kinds of croissants. There's a, a croissant ordinaire, which is made with um, a mixture of butter and margarine, or there's croissant that is 100% uh, butter. So you can make a croissant or, or any sort of laminated pastry with any kind of fat or a mixture thereof. And I think a lot of um, bakers are using margarine um, because it is less expensive or a mixture of margarine and butter. Um, it also is maybe a little bit easier to work with. It has a higher melting point. It stays a little bit more extensible, but there's nothing that can compare to the, the actual flavor of 100% butter. So um, to make, uh, the question is, is can you make a croissant with, um, with a different oil to make it vegan? So you could absolutely do margarine would be vegan, but one thing, okay, well, there are vegan margarines, I think. One thing that we um, have worked on at the bakery is creating a vegan butter ourselves that's uh, cultured with uh, soy milk and um, trying to create something that tastes a little bit more buttery than, than a vegan uh, margarine and we came up with something that is uh, based with coconut oil and then a little bit of um, rapeseed oil and it really makes a, a beautiful tasting product because it has that scent of coconut and I personally like that so anything is possible. So the question is when you are making the croissant dough or the laminated dough when do you add the chocolate or the almond so if you're if you're making a chocolate croissant the chocolate bars get added after the dough is completely made. So all the layers are there already. And then you cut out your dough into the specified shape that you want, add the, um, the chocolate bars, and then roll that up. And then that uh, goes into the proof box to, to rise and then eventually be baked. And then almond croissants are a special case because the way that many almond croissants are, are made is they're a way to use up waste. So croissants that don't sell what we do is we take those, they're dried out, so they're great. They're gr a great vehicle for soaking up um, a rum syrup, let's say. So we dip them in rum syrup, and then we uh, add the almond cream, put the top back on, some more almond cream on top, sprinkle of almonds, and then those get baked a second time just to set that almond cream because there's, um, there's eggs in that, and so it needs to set, it needs to be baked. It's my favorite, absolute favorite way to use up waste because it's better than the first product, I think. Ooh, there should be. I, okay, so the question is, are there gluten-free croissants? And 
I am sure that there are gluten-free croissants, and for you know, there's there's so many people now that have a gluten allergy or intolerance, and and so a lot of bakers are really being pushed to 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 try to figure out these questions. And I am 100% sure that there is something out there. We do not. I see it as a challenge that I would love to accept, but I haven't gotten there yet. The problem is for anyone that is truly uh, a celiac and has an extreme allergy, we can't make anything that is gluten-free in our bakery because there's cross-contamination. There's gluten, there's flour in the air. Um, you, you wipe down a table in the bakery and then a half hour later you come and there's, there's flour and then the ovens and everything. Um, there's just too much risk for cross-contamination. So true gluten-free bakeries have no wheat on the premises. My favorite, uh, I was just in France and, and um, my favorite bakery in France, hmm, that's tough. I mean, there's so many good ones. I, I really love to um, go to Pierre Hermé because he makes a croissant that has, um, it's his Isfan croissant, so it has a little bit, it's in Paris, yeah. It has a filling that's a raspberry, almond, and rose. And it's, it's just so magical to have that rose um, scent in the, in the croissant. I really love that. And the lamination there is always on point. Um, everywhere you go in France, there are maybe five bakeries within three blocks of wherever you are. So, so you don't have to be super discriminating. I think you can have a favorite, um, but... Everyone is trained so well, and once you find the places that are really making their own croissants, um, um, it's the easiest is just to go to the one that's closest. Uh, so the question is about the flour that we use at the bakery. Tomorrow you're visiting Janie's Mill, um, just uh, south of uh, um, in Ottawa, Illinois, or close to Champaign, I think, and. Um, so the question is, what kind of flour do we use? So we use Janie's Mill Flowers, which um, is 100% organic and local, which is something that we're really trying to, to get closer to. We want to support the farmers that are farming in a sustainable fashion, um, and we want to support the farmers that are closest to us. And um, a lot more of these farms are coming online. So we use Janie's Mill. We use uh, Great River milling from up in Wisconsin. We use also um, Heartland Mills, which is organic, but it's, it's a much bigger operation um, that makes a good flour that's very consistent. These are sort of the things that you start worrying about when you're using local flours that are smaller production is um, the biggest problem is finding consistency. Um, when you're making croissants every day or bread every day, when your flour changes, it's, it's, it can be a real nightmare because from one day to the next, uh, you don't know what's going to happen and you have to, you have to have bread to sell. So, <laughs> um, we're, we're working more and more at getting more and more local sustainable flowers. Yeah. In a day. So we usually, we do between right now is our slowest period. And, um, so we did Yesterday, we did seven blocks, and a block of croissant makes six dozen. So six dozen times seven. Yeah, so that's a, that's a, a slow for, for, for a Saturday. And we, a lot of that goes out the back door for us, so it goes to different coffee shops and such. At our height, we, do, we can't really do more than 12 blocks in terms of... Um, the size of our facility and being able to bake and and store them. So you're right. Humidity is a, uh, one of the problems that we have is humidity um, when working with croissants and and the air conditioner does pull humidity. So we have an air conditioner just in uh, what we call our dough room, and that's where we have our sheeter, and that's what we use to to roll our dough out. And that does take some of the humidity out of the air, but there's constant back and forth through that room. So, so we have a little, um, we, we can see what the relative humidity is in the room. And, and when it's more humid, the dough is more sticky and it, it's uh, harder to work with. So absolutely. Great questions. The questions about um, how many turn, what, what turns we do for our croissant dough when we're making it. So we start with what I call the butter sandwich. Um, so it's just a, 
the the dough um, sandwiches, the the butter. We roll that out. We do a single turn, so it's a um, a, a letter fold, and then we do a second single turn, followed by a, a a double turn. So the so it's two singles and a double. <laughs> so that is something that I wish we had a better handle on. There are days when we run out very early, which I don't like. Um, if we run out of croissants by 10 a.m., I'm pulling my hair out trying to figure out what happened. Um, and then there's other days where we have croissants until 3 or 4 in the afternoon. The nice thing is, is um, if they are plain croissants or chocolate croissants, we will turn those into almond croissants for the next day. However, if it's a ham and cheese croissant, then I'm crying because it's the most expensive ingredients and the most expensive croissant that's sitting there wasting away. We can donate it, but even that makes me nervous um, because I don't know how long it's going to be before somebody eats it, and I wouldn't want somebody to get sick from eating something that's sat out all day. Yes. So those don't necessarily go to the store, right? So they're going out. We, they, a lot goes out the back door. Mm-hmm. So um, we have between 30 and 40 wholesale clients. So that bakes all night long. And then, you know, they start baking and bake and bake and bake, cool it off, pack it into boxes and out the back door to be delivered by 6 or 7 in the morning to cafes throughout the city. So the question is about American butter versus French butter. And um, I was not aware that there's wax in, in American butter. Um, uh, we use a cultured European-style butter that comes from Wisconsin. Um, I don't know that there's wax in it, but I'm going to look into that immediately and find out. Uh, and so, so the biggest difference between the um, European-style butter and the American butter is, well, one part is culturing the butter. So the butter is cultured. Um, that means... In the, the best sense of the word, it means it's allowed to sit and start to, to kind of ferment. Um, it's not pasteurized or, or it's lightly pasteurized. I'm not 100% sure how it works. Um, so you develop a good flavor when you have cultured butter. Secondly is the fat level. So American butter is lower in fat than the European style butter. Um, and once you have a lower fat butter... Um, it's less plastic, and by plastic, I don't mean that there's plastic in there. It just it, it's not it's not as um, pliable. Pliable is the word I'm looking for. So the question is about classes offered at the bakery, and um, we're trying to figure out how to make that work. Um, right now, the bakery operates 23 hours a day, so there's people there working at all times. Um, there's slower parts um, of the day later, later in the afternoon, but there's not ever a time where we can have the public in to, to, to do a class at this point that's actually in the kitchen. We could do a class um, that's less hands-on in the dining room, and it's something that we've kind of toyed with, maybe doing a mixture of hands-on and hands-off to make it work, but... If, if we had another space, I guess, it would make more sense to offer classes um, to have a proper setup. And also, nobody wants to be in the kitchen right now because it is terribly hot in there. It's 95 degrees, and um, it is air-conditioned. Um, our air condition was ba- uh, broken for the past two weeks. But it's air-conditioned, but what happens is you have to have a hood on um, over all the ovens, and that pulls out... Um, hot air, but at the same time, for all the air that's being pulled out, air from outside gets dumped back in the kitchen so you don't have a vacuum. And uh, unfortunately, the air outside is really hot and humid, so it's kind of this, it's a fool's errand to try to cool a kitchen. You know, when I was a kid, that that was the butter that I grew up on, was Land of Lakes, and and to me, that was the best butter ever. Um, But honestly, I I don't know, I... um, I haven't had Land O'Lakes butter, except for maybe going home for the holidays with at my grandma's um, in ages. It's generally salted, if I remember. Or they have unsalted? Unsalted, okay. Um, I think it's probably a fine butter. Um, it's, not, it's not as high a fat as um, 
European style, like I think you can get plugra or the, um, what is it, Kerrygold butter at the grocery store. Um, butter's butter to me, you know, if, as long as it tastes good, and butter generally always tastes good, so it's good stuff. Good question, good question. So the, the question is about the lamination, starting with the butter sandwich. And so at that point, that's the only time that we add butter. Um, is in that initial butter sandwich. However, our croissant dough, when we're mixing it, we mix in some butter into the dough for, for greater extensibility, but we don't add butter at any other time unless when you're eating it, you spread a little butter on it, which is always a good idea. So the question is about sugar. Is there sugar in croissant dough? There is sugar in croissant dough. Generally, um, the sort of average for croissant recipes is I think 10 to 12% sugar. Ours is seven or eight, which is on the super low end um, for that. Um, I just, I generally like things a little less sweet. Personal preference. So I think butter, regular American style butter, has to be a certain fat con content. I don't know, maybe it's 80%. I'm not 100% sure what it is. And then to be called European style butter, it has to be a slightly higher percentage, 83 is my guess. And so, sure, it could be above that, but, um, but it has to be at least at a certain level. I'm not 100% sure, but I, can, I could say just from being in France, I'm sure it's very highly regulated how, what the fat content is on the butter or, or the minimum fat amount that they have. And it might be different for for Ireland or Denmark, but uh, I, I don't know for sure. We are always working on creating, the questions about what, what's new and exciting that we're creating at the bakery. We're always creating something, we're always inspired. One thing that we've been working on is, I'm trying to think of how to explain it, so, sort of updating the look of our pastries. Um, so we've been playing around with changing the, the format of our ham and cheese croissant to, to make it stand out a little bit more. So if you look at a pastry case, it's kind of a sea of brown, um, of brown pastries. And, and we're always looking for ways to change the shape, to change um, the color without adding any food coloring, of course, um, and make it more interesting um, and to stay relevant and keep people coming back and wanting to try new things. So the question is about how can you preserve a croissant and, um, and eat it later and still enjoy it? So, no. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> yes and no. So, so I think there's, as a baker, some things that a baker can do to make a croissant that keeps longer is um, having sugar, a higher sugar content is going to make it... Um, keep longer because sugar pulls moisture from the air. So it's not gonna taste as dry. Not over baking the croissant is important as well. So um, if you bake it for more than 20 minutes, you're essentially drying it out. Um, having sourdough starter in your croissant um, is something that kind of preserves the, the croissant. But honestly, a croissant, once it's cold, I think, ooh, I, I don't wanna eat it. Um, that's why I like almond croissants. If, if I'm not going to have a hot croissant, I'll have an almond croissant. Yeah, yeah. But you could, you could wrap it um, very tightly, maybe in plastic wrap, throw it in the freezer, take it out, put it in the toaster. I think if you toast something, you can, you can, you can kind of trick your, your senses into experiencing it warm, and uh, it's better that way. You know, uh, so the question is about our wholesale clients, um, whether they claim credit for, for making um, the pastries themselves. I'm not 100% sure, um, but I think most people say that the, the, the pastries come from, from us. Um, you know, just like we're, we're not roasting our own coffee because we're not good at that. We prefer to find um, somebody that is good at it and, and tell everyone this is really good coffee, it comes from here. Um, I think the same is mostly true for, for our bread and pastries. No, we don't require anyone to claim that it's ours. We just require them not to sell it a day old. That's, that's my biggest fear is that, you know, once something is out of our control, how is it being treated? And, um, and 
we did have one instance where somebody tried to sell things a couple days old and that was it. Yes, so the question is about our sourdough starter, how we take care of it and, and what we use it in. It's still named Frankie, now you know Frankie. Um, so we have, well, we have several starters, but Frankie is our more liquid uh, sourdough starter. Frankie dates back to, let's see, Frankie must be about 10 years old, maybe, maybe 11. Uh, Frankie was started um, with Asian pears from, from uh, a vendor at the farmer's market. So we, we, we took the Asian pears, cut them up, put them in cheesecloth, put it in a vat with flour and, and water and let it hang out and get really funky. So, so pretty much there's yeast on the outside of all fruits. So um, what you're trying to do when you're making a sourdough starter is you're trying to get those yeasts from the air into the flour and, um, and water and use that to create um, uh, a natural leaven. Um, so Frankie is fed three times a day. Um, Frankie is used, <laughs> yeah, it's a problem, like on, uh, over the holidays, what do we do with, what do we do with the sourdough starters? Um, Frankie um, is a rather liquid sourdough starter, so um, lives in a uh, um, almost like a garbage can that's on wheels and you gotta dive in there and, and mix it up. Um, Frankie is found in many, many of our breads and in our, um, in our croissants, so, so it's been a, a nice thing to have around, yeah. And if you ever want sourdough starter because you want to bake, we will gladly give you a small amount and you can take it home and that way you don't have to always feed one on your, on your counter, yeah. Oh my gosh. So the question is, do I ever have time to watch the Great British Bake Off? And the answer is yes. And it is one, my daughter loves, loves, loves that show. And so it's, it's a fun time for us to watch something together and um, root on all the, all, the, all the players in the show. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, yeah. So um, we, uh, the question is about our seeded sourdough. So this is a, a sourdough bread that we make that is chock full of seeds. I think a loaf must ma weigh six pounds or something ridiculous, or the full loaf. Um, so when you buy it at the store, you're getting a half loaf. We, um, uh, it's, it's, it's rather narrow and very tall in stature. So this bread is baked in a, what's called a Pullman pan. So the pan um, is kind of named after the Pullman rail cars. So, so long um, and tall. And uh, we really chose that pan because we had a lot of them at the bakery. And, <laughs> and we didn't want to buy any other pans. Um, and uh, we liked sort of that tall slice of, of, of bread and, and like how it looks for sandwiches. So it, it worked out that we had the equipment and... and um, and so we, that's what we used. Anyone else? Oh. <laughs> and what, what have you brought? Oh, yeah. So today I brought Queen Amman and uh, chocolate croissants and plain croissants. So uh, I think they're all cut in half so you can get more than one taste and, and see what you think. Smell, look evaluate first and um, I'll do the same because I know they're not 100% today. <laughs>